0: Hello, everyone. Greetings and welcome to the What's the PHDL podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify the scientific process for folks going through the rigors of pursuing a PhD, folks thinking about getting a PhD, or even people just curious about what it's all about. Uh, You can check out the website associated with us at realphdl.com. You can find that in the show notes. And of course, we'd love it if you emailed us at our group email at phdlmail at gmail.com. Uh, that's also in the show notes, and then feel free to send any comments, criticisms, things you loved about the pod, uh, things that you wish maybe uh, I didn't talk as much, or and talking to you, Aaron, of course, in case uh, who's already told me I talk too much on this podcast. But send over your comments, mail them over. Uh, any questions? Or, yeah, potential topics, anything. We're like we're excited to 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 read anything you send our way. Uh, Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and make sure to subscribe and leave your reviews. Uh, Check all the show notes for all the details. Uh, And, of course, a quick disclaimer, the following podcast reflects only our views. It's no way meant to represent any of the views of any of our institutions or organizations we're associated with. And we promise to give you uh, the best attempt at helpful advice based on our knowledge, but, of course, we don't have... A perfect or correct answer to every question. Uh, in fact, we will probably not agree with everything ourselves. So take everything with a kilogram of salt. And that is right. We are kicking SI units. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, And that brings us to the next nerdy aspect that we are all science and engineering based PhDs. So our show will obviously concentrate mostly on that type of PhD. Uh, with that all said, let's get on to the episode. So, hello, PhDL Nation. What's up, my esteemed panel of, of friends? No. yo. And- <laughs> yo. Uh, I'm here, Lou Estevez, coming at you with another episode. I am dropping mad science, as the kids say, or at least the way they used to say in the 80s, I believe. Uh, but I, I'm here with my illustrious panel of fellow PhD scientists, including the radioactively energetic material scientist, Liz Couch. What's up, Liz? Hey, <laughs> We got the materials deposition and most affable battery scientist in the world, Rajan Patel. Oh. So-
1: wow! <laughs>
2: what
1: what? what an <laughs> intro? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, oh,
2: does agree,
0: <laughs> a lot of does a lot of work behind the scenes as well. So <laughs> it's completely, completely super, like this, like a superstar. And speaking of superstars, we have the emerging PhDL superstar currently taking resumes for a position to be on his entourage i believe he's currently looking for someone uh, elias is this correct you're looking for someone to fill the yeah. spot on the back that says you know it after each of your jokes i think that's that's like <laughs> the current open spot so send your resumes to elias Nakuzi. what's up elias hey how are you <laughs> he's, I know it sounds unassuming, but like you know, really, he's send your resumes now because this spot will fill up right away. So <laughs> and with that, I'll introduce you to our topic today. Uh, we're gonna be talking about mentoring, uh, all aspects. Mentors, mentees, um, hopefully not tormentors or tormentees. And so <laughs> <laughs> and uh and you know, and despite uh, you know. The fact that we're all involved in this like supposedly, quote unquote, objective realm of science, like how you learn to be a scientist is largely informed and influenced by your mentors. I, I think that um, this is a huge part of, of being a scientist and it's and it, it harkens back to to centuries past, right, where you learn a craft or something. If you're going to be a blacksmith, you learn from some senior blacksmith and you you become their mentee and they mentor you on how to do it. And we've been doing science the same way for forever now, too. So this is a huge part of, uh, of your PhD. And so it's a topic we definitely want to uh, hit. And and this brings us, of course, I guess the, the first thing, uh, I'll let you guys chime in if you want, but I, to me, uh, I think um, it just naturally evolves towards the first thing you think of is the mentor-mentee relationship with your advisor, right? As a PhD student, this is... Crucial, and this is um, as Elias has explained before, kind of an almost unfair or or heavily weighted power dynamic towards the advisor. And so, if they don't do their mentoring right, like you can really get pretty screwed up on this. So this is like definitely a a, a, a hot topic, so to speak. Uh, so yeah. So with that, uh, as uh, anybody have any input they want to put on on this aspect, uh, or I I can jump in actually. I, I, you know what? I'm going to jump in and just really, <laughs> despite,
1: despite
3: promising not so to
0: much, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in anyway. And just, just start us off with a, a quote from The Wire, which is like uh, my favorite show actually ever. And it's, <laughs> and it's uh, a senior cop telling another junior cop who got, just got promoted and he's about to start his own like squad. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so I, I love this because it's, it's really analogous to, to, I think what, what, uh you know, pursuing a PhD and learning from your advisor as the mentor, because honestly, like it completely influences you and teaches you exactly how to run a research group. So I think when you're, you start running your own little, little research group of, 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 um, of other scientists, like you can't help, but, but do what you were taught. And I think that the wire captures this perfectly. So, and by the way, there's some cursing here. So just, you know, all, all you 13 year old phenoms that are uh undergoing a PhD, <laughs> maybe maybe just uh turn this off for the next minute or two. But I love this. This is uh so yeah, so let's take another ride on the Lou Estevez Weird analogy express and let's let's I'm gonna I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna read this quote to you. And in, in the voice of Lieutenant Va- Daniel, so I'm gonna do my best. Whoa. Lieutenant you got impressions. That's right.
1: This is serious.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> So here we go. All right. A couple of weeks from now, you're going to be in some district somewhere with 11 or 12 uniforms looking at you for everything. And some of them are going to be good police. Some of them are going to be young and stupid. A few are going to be pieces of shit. But all of them will take their cue from you. You show loyalty, they'll learn loyalty. You show them it's about the work, it'll be about the work. You show them some other kind of game, then that's the game they'll play. I came on the eastern and there was this piece of shit lieutenant hoping to be captain piece of shit sergeants hoping to be lieutenants pretty soon we had pieces of shit patrolmen trying to figure out the jobs for themselves and some of what happens then is hard as hell to live down comes a day you're going to have to decide whether it's about you or about the work huh that's so amazing
2: <laughs> oh man yeah. that was
3: yeah. spot on. Yeah, I really enjoyed really enjoyed listening to uh, Baritone Lou Estevez on this one. <laughs>
1: no, he got,
2: he got the rhythm. He got the rhythm good. and the voice yeah. down. And if you, whenever you, I don't know, I know you, you, uh, Elias and Liz, you haven't seen. Uh, I have not much. seen. I have yet, not. not. Yeah, so, but when you do, if you do, he's, it, it was good. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners will, would agree with me.
0: I think it applies very well to a PhD life. <laughs> and I think I think it's it's pretty spot on, right? Like I mean you will if you learn from your um you know your advisor that it's all about just publishing papers, just just advancing your career, not really caring as much what you're doing, just as long as what you're doing is is getting you advancement, then you'll learn that's the way to write papers and do science. And if you learn it's about the work and actually promoting some kind of science for everybody else, then you know for, for others to to build upon, then that's what you learn and that's what you become. So it's it's amazingly uh, accurate as far as like uh, as, as an analogy I think. And so, so what are your thoughts? Uh, Elias, I think you have something good.
3: Yeah, so it's worth remembering that there are you know big picture two aspects of your PhD. One is the uh, the research itself, actually, and the research results and the scientific knowledge that you're generating. And then the other is the mentorship or education component along the way, along that journey. So, uh, and, you know, the way research is, sometimes getting those results is pretty hard and a long journey and uh, you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, let's not forget that the... Acquiring those skills, that mentorship component from that experience is just so important. You know, you might end up at the end of your PhD thesis thinking that I've generated new knowledge. I cannot immediately see the value of it now in products or in whatever. But at the end of that, you've been trained as a scientist in a certain way of thinking in a certain technical expertise uh, in just all that good stuff. And uh, soft skills such as perseverance, communicating science, management, and you're ready to go out, do maybe more research or do another kind of job. Uh, so, so let's not forget, it's not just about publishing and papers and research results. That's obviously crucial. That's why we do science. But uh, you know, at the end of the your program, make sure you got the training that you needed to succeed in life elsewhere as well. That's where the mentorship part comes in. We have to remember that.
0: Yeah, and 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 you're right. Like this, this mentorship is it, it's crucial, right? Because you're right. There's so many multiple facets to being a good scientist. Of course, you have to look out for your career and know how to how to advance. And when you're thrown into a PhD program, like you said, it's completely different from anything you've done before uh, as a as an undergrad. And so you're just thrown into you know into this situation where you don't really have the necessary skills developed, you, you have the scientific chops to some degree, right, but you're still learning how to do research, which is different than, than learning about established science and be, being able to uh, demonstrate your, your knowledge and mastery of it, you're, you're, you're forging new science, right, so which is a whole different skill set in a way. And, and then you're right, you're dealing with, how do I publish? How do I, how do I line myself up to get, you know, Good um, uh, potential collaborations, or or good uh, making some good contacts at, at conferences, and all these other skills that you kind of learn from your advisor, and 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 in in a way from you know your senior researchers and 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 uh, also postdocs that are in your group as well. But I mean, your your advisor just forms; they're kind of like a total parental unit, like all in one. That kind of like much like parents show kids how to be how how to how to be little adults, like they the, your advisor is basically teaching you how to be a a budding scientist. And I think you you get almost all of it from them. So you so I hopefully the, the good advisors most advisors realize this, right? And and fall on this bell curve of like um ability to do this job well or, or not. Like and most of them though try at least to do a good job because they realize how important it is. But there's all kinds of disparate incentives going on where they have to worry about hitting deliverables and and being able to obtain funding for the group and being able to navigate all kinds of other things within the academic world so you know oftentimes this can take a bit of a backseat and and hopefully you know as a phd student you're you're able to find someone who at least at least takes it seriously and that that's something that you usually find but but also not just being able to take it seriously, but actually be able to do it well, which is, you know, it's a learning experience for them too, especially if you have a new, um, a, a, an advisor, who's like a, an assistant professor and someone who's like starting off in his career, I think, but yeah, Rajan.
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, like when, when I think about mentorship or what I, as a, uh, what I expect from a mentor, Uh, ideally it's two things right like you want if you are jumping into a pool of of uh, any research project or any work that you're about to embark like some sort of initial guideline uh, and then with those guidelines enough wiggle room or enough freedom within those uh not necessarily a framework but at least somewhere to grow from that point on so i feel like that's where the mentorship is crucial to to me at least it starts with like it gives you okay here is the seedling and this is what you can achieve in one way in from his perspective or his her perspective uh from the mentor's perspective i mean and uh Uh, and i can take and organically grow and utilizing my own skills and more my own perspective and come up with my own solution so i feel like that would be like an ideal way of uh, ideal mentorship and mentee uh, relationship you know Uh, i mean this is kind of broad but i feel like in general this feels like should give you both not only the skills that you need uh, to do that particular job, but also you grow uh, personally and professionally yeah. to how to tackle like un uh, unexpected situations and uh, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So I was I totally agree, and um, something that I think is a really big part of being a mentor. Um, not, not. I'm not just speaking about myself, but I like you looked at it for this in your super. You know, the people above you is that they kind of you know meet students or uh, their mentees where they're at. So I think a lot of the times we see advisors that go um, maybe a little bit too extreme in the direction of do whatever you want, uh, and like you know you're sort of ignored, or the other extreme is you know micromanaging. You know, they're yeah. telling you exactly what to do, how to do, when to do. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, either of those extremes is, you know, um unhelpful in my opinion. And what but but the thing is what really works for in my opinion is once you figure out where a students at in terms of like their understanding and like where they're at, like maybe in their you know scientific maturity or if that's what you want to call it. Um, you kind of walk with them through that path. Like, so maybe the advisor or like a uh, like a how pathway might be, the advisor works with a student really closely in, and maybe even like is collecting data with you or something for your first paper. This is a, a kind of a made up example. So like, sure, just bear sure. with me. But <laughs> so, so maybe it's like a little bit of spoon feeding at first, maybe, it's, it's, but then it's like, then the next time you grow a little bit more outside of them and, um, and then, and they kind of keep, keep taking steps back versus being like, you know, on another planet from the get-go. So I think that was something that, so, um, to, to lose point of, you know, your advisor has a big impact on your graduate studies. Totally true. Um, but I do think like, um, kind of, a nature versus nurture situation, like we can also learn a lot from our friends and like all the other people around us, right? So I feel at this point in my life, I'm I'm more of a sum of all my mentors than one particular person. But um true. true. Yeah, but that's also I think because I maybe, you know, worked I didn't I, I took um some gap between like Uh, my BS and then going back to school. So there was some sort of, uh, I stepped outside of the academic world for a little bit. Um, So, right, yeah. So I think mentors matter totally. Your advisor is one of the most important, but um, your other mentors and whoever you can learn from is also, they're also very, they can be very impactful. And you should kind of go with what like jives with you. I think, you know, if you are working with someone like in a supervisor's role and you're on like, I don't know, you're it just works. Like, go with it. Explore that. And then that way you kind of can figure out, OK, this kind of uh, I don't really like being left alone for too long. I don't really like micromanage. You know, like you kind of figure it out. But yeah. Like,
0: yeah, I, I totally agree. I y- you have to be paired with with a. Uh a mentor that works for you, whether it's your advisor or not, or later on when it's your um, uh, supervisor at work or, or, and you're right, you can have additional mentorship uh, from, you know, your, your advisor, aunt and uncle that we mentioned previously, or it could be somebody else within the group that's a uh, more senior level than you, like either, even senior uh, PhD students, if you're, if you're a junior PhD student, it could be. Uh, can help out quite a bit with uh, with mentoring, especially if you. I was in a particularly big group, so we had a lot of that going on, and it was great. It was uh, you learned from many different perspectives, and you were able to uh, work with a lot of different smart people who like had been where you were either just a few years ago, or even you know five or ten years ago, if you're talking the the postdocs. And so it was it, it was a a big learning experience from from lots of different types, but it's also. Like you said the match is so crucial and we talked about this uh with choosing your advisor but it works for mentors too and especially if your mentor is going to be a lot of it's going to be your advisor especially early on you know that match is huge like when i first the, the whole reason i got involved in pursuing a phd and doing research was was because i discovered it like almost by accident and i was completely overwhelmed by how cool it was and the reason i did was because i i went to school late as you guys know decided to become a mechanical engineer and that was that was going to be my plan i'm going to be a mechie and do a bunch of cool engineering stuff right and then so i started at age 30 i did that and i'm like yeah by the time i'm 34 or whatever 35 i'm, I'm done with that and i'll have like a, a real job quote unquote and then uh i you know trying to like pay for my uh, my uh, studies was uh was like a big part of it right and then and uh, so I found, so I, I was doing well in school and I, I was able to to obtain what was called the work merit scholarship. And it was not a lot. It was like a thousand bucks to do research over the summer. And for me, I was like, this is great. This will help out a ton. And so I was like, I'll take any opportunity, right? So I was like talking to the people, like how do I take advantage of this opportunity? And they were like, you need to find a professor who will sponsor you and do some research with. And I'm like, great. So I just, And I was like, I don't know who the hell to pick, right? Cause I, I didn't know. What research entailed i didn't know what research i liked i just knew i liked the classes i was taking and but i i just kind of went by which professor i liked the most i was like well this guy seems really cool like he's someone Mm -hmm. i can (laughs) yeah it wasn't like he's doing he was doing biomechanics which is like pretty interesting but that's not why i chose him i was just like he's just seems like the coolest guy out of like all the professors uh here and i seem to jive with him really well and he would be a fun guy to work with over the summer like that's as far as I thought it through. Like, and then he, you know, and it turned out to be a pretty good assessment because he was great. He was awesome and he was fun. And then he got me into research. Like basically uh, he, it was like, it was a perfect pairing. And I think a lot of it was um, uh, was just being able to find the right fit. Um, You know, not only did he take his, his mentorship seriously, but it was also a really good fit between what I liked working in and, and then what he liked uh, supervising as, and then he just kind of, let, you know, gave me guidance, but like gave me a lot of open-ended tasks. And I just got to do that. And I, was, and I was like, this is so much fun. And he goes, ah, do you like research? I'm like, I love it. This is great. Like, like this is an amazing job. He's like, you should go for this internship. And and he told me this about this internship at Los Alamos and that they were like hiring mechanical engineers to do all kinds of cool research type projects. And I, that was my first, like, I was like, if it's like this, I, I'm, I'm sold. And then I, I actually got that internship, and that got me into research. And So this professor uh, at University of Maine, uh, who's now at Lexington, Kentucky, actually. It's Mick, Mick Peterson. Shout out. What's up, brother? Uh, he it was so cool and so instrumental. And really, it was just because I was like, I like this guy. I can work with him over a summer, and that sounds fun. And and it just – but but he was a great mentor and showed me, how you know, how to – how to do this research. So I think the fit between you and your your mentor is so crucial. Like, I mean, sure, he did some great research too, but like that was not factored at all into my plan. And and of course, that's helpful if the research you're doing is interesting to you. But at the time, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. And I just and I'm, I'm not working in biomechanics now. It's like, you know, it was, it was a fun project, but I'm nowhere near that. Uh, but it's but at the same time, I really enjoyed my time doing research. I learned how to be a researcher, which I think is is important, and you can get from people like that in your experience. So, so I, I think this fit of finding the right person is is huge, and especially as a PhD student, beginning your PhD, it, finding your advisor should be you know obviously it should be research that that you think you would enjoy, but that can change <laughs> quite a bit. Find the person that you enjoy working with, and 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 whose style suits you, and who takes um, their mentorship uh, ability. Uh, sorry, the mentorship duties seriously, then the rest is like just extra. Like it's not as, that's what I think. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? That's, that's kind of how I feel about it.
3: It seems that, you know, that person had some very good motivational skills. Not that uh, Lou usually needs a lot of motivation. But <laughs> <laughs> at, times, uh, at times. Yeah. Now, now, you know, the academic job market doesn't really select for those kinds of skills necessarily necessarily in people who become professors. Usually, uh, they're looking for the most technically gifted scientists who can write good grants and uh, say, explain them, explain those grants in talks. And that's the people who, and that's obviously, those are incredibly important skills to do good science. But, you know, no time in our Training at no point do we learn how to manage people, how to how yeah. to communicate uh, yeah. to our team, to people uh, along the let's call it the hierarchy. Say to you know for a, a postdoc versus an early uh, undergrad who just joined. You know we don't often academics we don't learn how to appreciate different skill sets, different experiences. Uh, also, professors don't necessarily always have training on managing budgets, for example, or uh, sometimes they've they've incredibly well driven and motivated and remarkable people, but uh, not everyone else is. So sometimes it's difficult to come to grips with why students aren't spending, say, twelve hours in a lab like you used to do back when you were a graduate student in nineteen sixty something, right? So. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, <laughs> all, all of those things are, it's, it's a tough job. You know, it's a tough job to manage people to have all those skills and be doing cutting edge science. I mean, at some level, sure, let's give professors a break on that. It's, it's a tough job, but hopefully, and I think so that there's becoming more and more realization of those other non-technical skills that are important for the well being of graduate students so that they have a great experience to do good research and to get the training that they need to succeed in life later.
1: Um, yeah, I was gonna say that, um, so I am certainly no expert here, but I have heard from um, professors that um, like, you know, being a good scientist and writing strong proposals that could win money and bring money to the school is obviously very important as Elias said, but something that sets you apart like um, you as in, you know, someone who's looking to be a professor maybe is, you know, teaching skills. Have you even ever taught? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's something that a lot of people applying to these jobs haven't done um, yeah, yeah. or have no experience with. And um, with that comes like, you know, the me- mentoring skills and ability to work with students and bring students from no PhD to PhD. Like, so these are, yeah. um, and I mean, I'm, I'm saying that because, not this isn't just for people who want to be professors but like just think about it from uh, your advisor's point of view like where did they come from they might have not had these experience like elias was saying so that is a valuable skill for an advisor type role but is certainly not a prerequisite it should be yeah it should be and i think um schools are maybe looking more at those types of skills Probably also because you know the applicant pool is so large, these types of skills, coupled with strong you know publication record, proposal potent, uh, winning potential, all this, um, would really make a, a strong stronger candidate.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, to add to that too, I think uh, some of it is on the, on not only the department but the professor's part uh, or the advisor's part, is long-term thinking versus short-term thinking, right? Like to me, you should strive to be a good mentor because you're obviously your job is to produce science and and grab funding t- to enable that to happen. But your 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 job essentially as an advisor, especially as a, a leader of a of a group or a PI a principal investigator of a group, is to produce scientists, right? Like especially if they, yeah. as they come in for PhD, like as as PhD candidates, your your job is to turn them into a scientist not to turn them into like science producing machines. Like that's right. that's a byproduct, right? Like if if you, you know, as you turn them into a scientist, they're gonna produce science that's gonna not you know, throw out a bunch of papers and a, like some, some good work that you can build on and they can build on, but that's like the byproduct. Your primary job is to turn them. I mean, with postdocs it's a bit different, of course, because they're, they're you know hired scientific mercenaries. They come in, they they're cranking out work, and it's a, it's a little bit of a di- dynamic. But if you are, if your job, um, it, uh, if your job as a PhD advisor with your PhD students is to turn them into scientists, predominantly, and everything else that comes of that is almost like a byproduct and, and extra. Uh, and and to me, I think that's that is the most important thing that they do to to PhD students. And I think that um, you know, it's also good for it, it's not only an altruistic thing for these advisors to do; it's it's what makes sense from a long term thinking as as a as a, as a as a scientist. Because these these PhD students become scientists and they go on to various positions, either start their own research groups or work in other research institutes or just become scientists in their own right, and then you can collaborate with them. Later as as more of colleagues, and you kind of I've seen my advisor do this and it's it's smart and it's not only smart, but it's it's also it's also good for everybody. Like it, it, it's a the way to make sure that everybody wins in this situation is to is to really take your mentorship seriously, help these students go through and become proper scientists, and then set them up for the the greatest chance of success. And then later on, that actually benefits you. So it's like to me, it's like I don't know why you find mm. examples of the of not that of of people who are you know more concentrated on their career and are short term thinking and just like oh i need to like crank out a bunch of papers and and get like uh get tenure and then you know do this it's like that comes if you just do this other part right like it'll it'll come like just just think long term and 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 do it properly, and it'll work out. Like, but I, it's it's still crazy to me how, how many times I see that uh, professors not following this route and just like treating their students like like workhorses and just like uh, scientific cranky machines. Like, yeah, just crank out science, crank out science, crank out science. I need papers, I need publications, I need to advance my career too. And it's like it's like, dude, just you know, let let them become scientists, and you'll that will happen. You know, mm. um, that that that's just my thoughts.
1: Sorry, what Lou was saying reminded me of something that I, um, so, okay, to, it reminded me of two things. The first thing was that if, like, in the search for a mentor, um, so um, something that is, I don't know, a good thing to look into, <laughs> could be, like, where are those person's students now? Um, like, where did they end up? Like, because to Lou's point, like, you know, an advisor's students or um, kind of, you know, his le- his or her legacy and just, just like, you know, papers or something are put out into the universe. But I mean, the, the people are more important, um, of course. So that was one thing that um, I was thinking about um, when you were uh, just talking, that, that reminded me of that. And then um, another thing is like, Someone that I have worked for in uh, before has like, um, I've noticed that he speaks like very, he's like proud of what his students are doing now. Yeah, and, yes. and it took, you know, it wasn't like an immediate thing, like first sentence he said to me, <laughs> but I like picked up on this over time. And this is like one of the clues that I was like, okay, this person is solid. You know, like and it's not that short sightedness sort of thinking of just treating your students as workhorses that Lou is talking about.
0: Yeah. No, that, that that's that is so cool. Like I love like it's like watching a proud parent, you know, like they're de- they, when they're just so proud of the what you mentioned, the legacy. Like that's that's kind of to me, that's how you have yeah. an enduring scientific legacies, uh, not just by the work you do. But by the scientists you produce and people you influence, like that's that's huge. I mean, if you are helping people to achieve scientific success, that reflects on you. And then you're like you come from this you know this uh, uh, PhD tree, right? Where uh, they become uh, you know famous in their own right outside of the tree, and it always comes back and reflects upon who started that tree. It's you know again another crazy analogy, but it's like very much like sports when you mm. have like. Coaching trees and like you know these coaches and and then the the people who work under them become coaches and they become famous and I like you come from the blah 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 the Popovich tree or this tree and it's it's the same way with science right like except that you know we're not athletically inclined typically but uh, besides that it's very similar in that we <laughs> we you know you you come from a certain um, type of of a, uh, of PhD tree and and you tend to have a bunch of those qualities I mean it's it's because they get passed on and you and you it gets taught to the to everybody else who's in in this group and so you can see it reflected on on the people that come out of it which is pretty cool like I think
3: no,
2: just it. to add on to the like maybe slightly from the other side's perspective like as a mentor sure you are supposed to spark that that growth into your uh, your students. But at the same time just like you cannot light fire without yeah. proper fuel so if the student itself had lacking uh, the self-motivation or or the necessary inspiration to do the job uh, or pursue this particular scientific endeavor then it becomes harder As in some cases, you can imagine for for a mentor to actually successfully transform that person.
1: Yeah, I think that kind of brings up a good point. Yeah, I mean, I have had personal experiences where, like, you know, I'm in a mentoring role. And I mean, I'm sure everybody has had these sorts of experiences. You start to diff, you can kind of tell when someone's like super interested and you drive with that person versus not. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah, it's a two-way street because it's a relationship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And hey, what do you guys think about uh, coming from the other side? Like, have you guys had a lot of experience, um, not just, uh, you know, being mentored, but being, uh, being mentors yourselves? Like I imagine you've had like, uh, as a PhD student, undergrads working for you, or or possibly, um, uh, you know, maybe you were the senior PhD student and showing like some of the new ones. I know Rajan, you definitely have like a lot of interesting experiences this way, where you were kind of like the first guy in your research group. So you kind of like, I'm kind of interested to, to hear
1: a your founding member like,
0: coming without naming too many names or whatnot, uh, but like just you know you came into a research group where you were like the only guy and then so you you it was like you and your your advisor and then you had other students i guess come up too right and then you had to kind of train them like so yeah i'm i'm totally but, to
3: but wait but on. wasn't that but wasn't that in missouri if i remember correctly? oh yeah 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 yeah.
0: well this is this is probably not <laughs> to, to elias because anything out of missouri <laughs> to him is just is it just <laughs> <sort of> garbage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, yeah uh, it's definitely is something that I dealt during my phd so I mean I, I had no uh, background on doing it uh, I just did it on the fly basically like yeah I, the couple of things that I experienced was like I had to slow myself down because in my head mm-hmm. it, everything made sense okay and then I got frustrated like, in the initial part, like, like why you're not getting it? Was like, <laughs> and then you know, of course, when I go back home, I was like, oh, of course, you may make sense to you because you've been doing it for the entire year, and this guy just came in and you're asking him to do it in one week. Sure, uh, sure. So, yeah. So the, it it took me some trial and error for that first person to uh, to, especially for myself to uh, get accustomed to slow down a bit when it came to training and uh, uh, even come up, coming up with uh, like separate milestones and setting up goals and making sure that this makes sense in terms of growth uh, uh-huh. also makes sense in terms of a general a training skeleton. So I, was, I, I also realized like, okay, I, I should take this opportunity to create something that can be applicable to the future student. And uh, and or any other group. Uh and yeah, so it took me some trial and error with this first person. So I'm not gonna <laughs> laugh. but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the timing, timing is something that we have to and, uh going from that one side of the table to the other, that, that took me a while. Yeah. That's that's that's
0: very interesting because I remember uh my first attempt to be a mentor in this regard i had like an undergrad student working for me and uh i you know and it was totally uh very first of all very excited i was like a like a, a kid with a new toy i was like oh my god this is gonna be so great i have an undergrad it's gonna be working for me i'm going to show him all the wonders of science and 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 <laughs> you know and his His bright-eyed like uh, wonderment will only increase of the joys of science, and it's going to, you know, like I had all these visions of of what it was going to be. But of course, it's your first time being a mentor, and so you make mistakes, and you're like, you know, you're trying to uh, help as best you can to help their career. But uh, but yeah, you 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 kind of do make some mistakes. But uh, hopefully, he thought he realized that uh, most of what I tried to do, I tried to do for his benefit. And I think it worked out okay. He ended up uh, becoming a PhD student at, uh, uh, at, at a really nice institution. And I think he's doing well. But it's like, uh, but yeah, I, I I, was, it was different, definitely different than what I was expecting it to be. Uh, you know, and I had this like almost Hollywood-ish rose painted, you know, uh, rose tinted glasses version of what I thought like it was going to be. It was like, mm-hmm. it's like I, will, I will show him all the wonders and, and he's going to, just be inspired to stand on the shoulders of giants and produce science and and make the world a better place. It's like, oh yeah, no, he just wants to he's got, you know, things like, I gotta finish off this thesis and I have to graduate and like and then I had my own issues and I was like, oh, I have these deliverables to do. And then I got almost a taste of what it's like to be a professor, like as a PI, be like having other things you have to worry about. And then you're like, oh I gotta come up with a research plan for him and and what is he doing this week? And what's he doing right? What's he doing wrong? And it's just, it's its actually like a lot of work. And and I, but I, I learned quite a bit and I, I think it went pretty well. Uh, Roger, do you have anything? Yeah, else? so
2: I forgot to mention like one key thing definitely I learned uh, was uh, before I can teach anyone or I can uh, show the ropes, I feel like I had to learn that person's learning process itself because everyone yeah, has their yeah. own way of doing things. So true. So I felt like that, that, that was one of the like revealing thing for me. Like, oh, I need to see how his brain works uh, when it, when it, or how he approaches any any problem or any task. So that helps me build like or customize a little bit to make this process easier. You know. Yeah,
1: that's like kind of what I was uh, meaning to say when I was talking about like good advisors do that. They they meet their students like kind of where they are versus like advisors who treat their students all the same, like in terms of not like, you know, with respect the same. I mean like the same, you know, you know, student A is given the same work as student B, but maybe their interests are different, or maybe their abilities or skills are different. Like that's just I feel not very effective. Totally agree. Like uh, mentee or mentor, like either of both yeah each
0: student comes with different incentives and 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 needs and and ways they work best and it's up to you as the mentor to figure out what that is that is a thousand percent true Liz. like you you you're not there's no cookie cutter approach to being a mentor like you can't just be like i will first show them this and then i will second do this and then they will obviously be in love with this style of of how i'm going to do things like it doesn't work that way like you need to to kind of base it, and the, you're right, the good mentors do this. Like I, I saw my advisor do this. I'm like, wow, he treats, you know, this student differently and not in a bad way. It's just kind of like they respond to different incentives than I do. And so he kind of works around the student, which I think is is the way to do it. Yeah, that's that's the way to doing mentoring right. I think,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Elias, what's up?
3: Yeah, well, as a quick aside, I just wanted to say for first time viewers about the Missouri comment, we have a lot to- <laughs> We have a long-running joke that I hate Missouri, but if you've listened to us before, you probably know that it's just in jest. I do not really hate Missouri. The state I really hate is Arizona. But anyway. Oh, (laughs) This Um, is new
0: information. The Florida of the West Coast, yes.
3: (laughs) So yeah. I think one take on mentoring students yourself is that is the golden rule. So mentor unto others as you wish to be mentored upon. I took some liberty in changing some. Oh. Yeah, 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 I noticed. Students.
0: But very well done, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and at a more practical level, to follow up on some of the notes you folks hit, I think it's very important to uh, set very specific and smart scientific goals. They yeah. might not be incredibly grand, but there needs to be a sense of purpose that at the end, it's not like clinic beakers or something, that at the end of <laughs> a certain, you know, th- within the timeline that you would expect, within the time that that student has, uh, you can reach a certain meaningful and uh, smartly set scientific goal. Uh, I think it's very important to be prompt in responding to your mentee, uh, to respect their time. And if they send you an email, answer those questions Uh they are also very pressed for time and you build on, create and sustain momentum. If you put off answering emails and answering their questions and teaching them a small technique, if you put that off for too long, then you're basically losing momentum and it essentially becomes, it could easily fall into wasting time for you and them as well, instead of being an education and research experience. One thing that I really like as well is to uh, to stand up for your mentees. Uh, I mean, of course, to be fair, to, uh, it's not like if they broke a million-dollar instrument to lie about that or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, do not uh, blame them for stuff that happens. Ah,
0: so true. And, so true.
3: And, you know, you have to be fair, but also lean a bit more on the side of your mentee in many ways, kind of I, uh, kind of like you like your mentor to have your back as well. That's
0: right. I, I think that's crucial. Oh my God. She, that's so true.
3: And that can inspire them as well. Uh, and uh, they might go on to do their own PhDs, or they might be smart enough to realize that's not what they want to do. So either way, it's a great <laughs> place.
0: <laughs> and then they could drive up on their Maserati when they have their MBA and be like, hey, are you doing science? Like, that's cool. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe if you are a nice mentor, they may even let you drive the car or give give you a ride or whatever.
3: Oh my uh, gosh, it
1: could be like that Seinfeld show, driving in... Co- whatever. Never mind. Sorry. You okay. <laughs> <you have> to- <laughs> but that is a show. There's like you know Jerry Seinfeld in the car, and right. coffee. Yes. I think the title of the That's show mean. is a combination of these words.
2: Yes. Oh, <laughs> comedians in cars.
1: Oh, yes, coffee. yes. Yes. Okay. That. Yeah. Good <laughs> Anyway, Scientists
3: in cars, like uh, so, so many done. things I like in just one <laughs> time. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah.
2: Scientists in labs doing things. <laughs> 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 uh,
0: well, this is this is a good segue. I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep going with the um, with with a really good discussion. But just to break it up a little bit, I have, uh, and again, we are. We are treading down semi-professional podcast territory here. I am going to uh,
3: do that's a segment. dangerous, man. That's uh, very uh, dangerous.
0: Watch out, watch out! We are doing a segment nightly. Uh, uh, another, another segment of, I think, uh, I would say, world famous uh, because you know I can say whatever I want. Um, world famous. Uh, guess the fake paper uh, based on the the tremendous Whoa. success of our last. Yeah, yeah. So, so of course, I well, of course we have to start with the intro music. So. Guess the fake paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right, that's right. Welcome to guess the fake paper, uh, and you know, it is—it's uh, it's a segment that we're trying. Uh, if you hate this, love this. Any other segment ideas? Send us a send us an email. Like, we'd love to hear. Uh, so, for this segment, I will be describing four different papers that are all a little bit outside the norm for scientific manuscripts. Your job, my illustrious PhD panel. That's right. What's up, Rajan, Liz, Elliot? I'm <laughs> yeah, uh, still man. here. We're all still here. <laughs> and, and still illustrious. Um, your job is to guess which one is the fake one that I made up. Three of them will be real and, and kind of bizarre, and one will be made up. Uh, of course, you may have come across one of these papers in your academic journeys, and if so, please don't let on that you know. That for the sake of the rest wow. of our panel, and also for a wonderful, wonderful audience playing along at home. Don't spoil it for our two or three listeners that we have. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Adam, how you doing? <laughs> so- <laughs> So, so I'm going to describe these four papers similarly, and I will repeat aspects of what I said, but I won't answer any additional questions that I didn't already cover since that will require I actually read the papers, which is a lot of extra work, and it and, and, and also require extra work and then I have to make up a, a tremendous backstory for the fake one. So that's a ton of extra work that I want to do. So I'm going to keep it just to what I say, and if you ask me any follow-up questions, I probably don't know it because either I made up the paper or or, again, I didn't read it fully. <laughs> I, but grab from the abstract and from others. Um, we have our four papers. Okay, you guys ready? Yeah. Yes. Always. Yep. Awesome. 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 Okay, paper paper number one. Uh, so the, uh, this is a bit this is a bit spicy. So just hang in there. Uh, the, the title is electrochemical synthesis of metal and semi-metal nanotube nanowires heterojunctions and their electronic transport properties. So this is a paper from the journal uh, Chemical Communications in 2007 by a bunch of uh, researchers from the Chinese Academy of Sciences. This paper is straightforward enough, you know, talking about various metal based nanotubes. Uh, The interesting and perhaps weird and perhaps a little uh, spicy part is the abbreviations used for various metal nanotubes, uh, particularly the copper ones. So as you probably know, nanotubes are usually abbreviated. Oh, that,
3: come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see where it. this is going.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so nanotubes are abbreviated NT, as in carbon nanotubes being CNTs. So for copper, you can imagine they use the periodic table uh, of CU. So they talk about CUNTs all over the paper. Uh, and, and I think it actually this paper won a vulgar acronym trophy, which I didn't even know existed. So that's paper number one. All right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Paper number two. The, the The title is "The Electronic Song: Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites Reduced Host Attack and Mating Success in the Dengue Vector Aedes Aegypti." So this this paper from as I, I know say that five times fast. Um, this paper from the journal Acta Tropica in 2019 by various researchers from various. Uh, uh, sure. uh, institutes Most of them uh, come from Mosquito heavy climates like Malaysia and Thailand Basically they want to study the effect of Sonic vibrations in the form of music And its ability to disrupt uh, Certain mosquitoes uh, Ones that transmit dengue uh, And and disrupt their ability To mate since mosquitoes need to harmonize Their flight tones in order to mate uh, They found that electronic music Especially from uh, Skrillex can delay host Attack Reduce blood feeding and disrupt mating, and provides new avenues for the development of music-based personal protective and control measures against these diseases. Wow! Sounds, sounds interesting. Okay,
3: it sounds like something uh, your buddy Professor Steve Strogatz would have done the nonlinear dynamics equations for, yeah, uh, for yeah. The synchronizing Thanks. mosquito behavior uh, and that kind of stuff.
0: I love <laughs> the name drop. Okay. Done, Elias. like wait wait yes wait, 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 drop some some heavy hitter names yeah. uh then, <laughs> then we got paper three the effect of heavy metal music on suicide uh this paper uh from the journal social forces in 2012 was put together by researchers from the university of helsinki in finland they basically explored if there was a relationship between heavy metal music and suicide rates. As Finland currently has the most metal bands per capita, fifty-three. That's 50,
2: true. Yeah, that's, that uh, is 50, true. 50, right?
0: Fifty-three metal bands per one thousand uh, per one thousand people uh, in all of <laughs> Europe, and they're currently they're currently second in second place for suicides per capita. I think it's right behind Russia, according to this paper. <laughs> it's that uh, Russia.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, Russia is at 25.7 suicides per 100K, and uh, no, sorry, that's, that. sorry, uh, Finland is at 25.7 suicides per 100K, and Russia is at 26.5, so it's pretty close. I mean, they're, they're up there in suicide rate, and the researchers found that there are various forces at play, including marital discord, alcohol abuse, alienation from work, gun availability, but they use multiple regression, regression analysis to separate these and other factors from regions in Finland where there was more radio airtime devoted to heavy metal music, and they found that there was a slight influence above randomness to heavy metal music's influence on suicide rates. All right. Paper four. Title is Pigeon's Discrimination of Paintings by Monet and Picasso. This, (laughs) This paper, published in the Journal of Experimental Analysis of Behavior in 1995, was done by scientists at uh, Keio University in Japan. And pigeons successfully learned to discriminate uh, color slides of paintings by Monet and Picasso. Following this training, they then discriminated new paintings by Monet and Picasso. They could actually tell if it was done by Monet or done by Picasso that they had never been uh, presented with before. And they even showed generalization from Monet and Picasso's painting to other artists that were heavily influenced by those two artists' work. So this suggests that pigeons can actually categorize via complex visual stimuli. So those those are our four papers. Like pigeon
1: question. the animal. This isn't like some strange no. short no. name for like <laughs> an algorithm.
0: No, no. This is a That's pigeon what the what animal. Like <laughs> yeah, the, uh, as, as New Yorkers know them, uh, rats with wings. Uh, these, okay, noted, noted. These are actual pigeons. So, okay. so okay. So now you've got the you got the you got the four. Number one is the copper nanotubes. Uh, number two is uh, how electronic music can can mess with mosquitoes. Number three is heavy metal music and suicide. And number four is pigeons differentiating between
2: uh, Picasso and, yeah,
0: and, Picasso. and Picasso. So what do you think? What do you think? Anybody uh, have any uh, ideas? The first one. You think the first one is the fake? Yeah. Okay. Um, right. What was the second one? And I think
1: I'm mixing up second and third.
0: The second was the the electronic song "Scary Monsters and Nice oh, okay, Break. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and then the third is heavy metal music uh, effect on suicide. I'm
1: actually i gonna
2: say fifth, first and second.
1: Yeah, same.
3: I was like I was thinking second. Wow, well, this is tough. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I, say I, the third one. Oh. Okay,
0: so what are your final answers? I got Elia's is the is the heavy metal music. Uh, I'm gonna
1: go two.
0: You're gonna go two. You're gonna go with uh, electronic fantastic. music as a fake, and it's, uh, gonna, it's
3: gonna be four that no one's gonna know.
0: <laughs> Rajar, what's your fake? First, first is fake. The first paper is real. Is actually real. Oh my real. god! I feel
1: like yes. I'm a, uh, Which is members.
0: it's fantastic. Uh, it must have gotten through the reviewers. They must have been like, "Go for it. This is great." Uh, <laughs> and then. And it actually did win a Vulgar Act of intro war uh, wow. that that actually exists. That's um Caper 2, uh, the electronic scarring, scary monsters, and night sprites reduced host attack, blah 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 blah, blah. That's actually true as well. That is true. Like electronic music, n- not just hated by by old people, also by mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: yeah. is so weird. <laughs> How do people develop these hypotheses? That's,
0: That's crazy. Like I looked at, into it a little bit and they were basically noticing that sound vibrations can mess with their like their I didn't even know this. They need to harmonize their flight tones in order to meet. So, wow. and so they thought vibrations can do this and then they tried different music and they found that this particular music really messed with them. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, crazy, right? Number three, heavy metal music on suicide is the Uh-oh. fake one. Well done, oh, wow. Elias. Oh, wow. yeah, you got it. You got Thanks. the fake one. Uh, so yeah, I totally made this up. By the way, Finland is not second in suicides per capita. I made that up completely.
3: They're like, I had, I had a lot of faith in my Nightwish and my Ramstein.
0: <laughs> but, 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 um, uh, Rajan is correct. The uh, they are ranked the number one. One. Yeah. And, and, in heavy metal in Africa, they yes it's, is it's, the name just, of
3: the journal correct or did you make that up as well Soci- society forces that's, that's a really good that's a really good question
0: I actually what I did was I found a paper that <laughs> linked country music with suicide and I just borrowed a lot of <laughs> Really, like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I I kind of uh made it sound legit and realistic because I was like so it's
2: it's the country mm-hmm. music that leads to suicide
0: well, okay, it's... It,
1: uh, wow, <laughs> we're like living in a house of depression.
0: <laughs> there's, a few, there's, there's a controversy with this paper, I think, uh, from what I saw. There's people saying, like, it could be that people who are suicidal tend, will find country music because they're suicidal. So it's not cause and effect, whereas country mm-hmm. music yields suicide. Do you know and about
3: the joke, like, what happens if you play a country song in reverse? You no, get was... your dog back, you get your truck back, you get your job back.
0: Paper 4 is actually true. I was fascinated by this, that that pigeon... Yes, yeah. pigeon's I, have,
2: I have seen that paper. Oh, okay. So uh,
0: okay.
1: Nice, nice. Well done. But how? Why? What? Uh,
3: <laughs> he's a big fan yes. of uh, Monet and Picasso. Yeah. Yeah. And pigeons. Uh, it made
2: the news, that's why. A long time ago, it made the news. Uh, okay. well...
0: Thanks for playing, guys! Uh, congratulations, Elias. I will be sending you your uh, your prize, which is uh, my uh, unfettered uh, admiration. Uh, your fantastic. Way. Looking <laughs> forward, <Yeah.
1: laughs> or for possibly for a, a pre-sanitized Amazon box. That's right. Well, okay, uh, awesome segment. Uh,
0: let's let's get back to the to, to the the mentorship episode uh, and, um, and and and. Last we left, uh, our our listeners, like I'm sure on, on the edge of a cliff, after playing such a tremendous game of guess, guess the fake paper, uh, we were talking about uh, actually uh, mentoring ourselves and, and what we what we found to be our experience with it. And I, I will jump in and say that uh, I had a lot of really fantastic experiences actually being a mentor, despite like the first time being pretty tough. I remember as we as i got more and more students i got a little better with it and i learned things about how to be a proper mentee from how they were uh, interacting with me too which was great because that it, that helped me also with my advisor uh i learned that i had one student who completely um wanted to do her own research like uh, basically i was i was working with porous carbon materials and, and i was like yeah we can use them for for x y and z and she was like, no, I want to do, I want to use them for CO2 capture. And I was like, great. <laughs> That's uh, the, and, she was, and she had her own research plan and she was like, this is what I want to do. I want to explore this, and explore that. And like she presented a really, and I was like, this is fantastic. I, this is taking a lot of the work out from under me. And then I was like,
1: okay, <laughs> this
0: is I, my advisor actually likes it when I do this and kind of like, because he's crazy busy and he also likes uh, not having to, uh, figure out a lot of the stuff like it's great. Like if you have someone who can come up with a really good idea and really wants to push it a certain direction. Um that that's fantastic. For me as as someone who was trying to balance pursuing my PhD with being a proper mentor, that like eliminated like a just chunk of work, you know, where I had to like sit down and look at the literature and see what, what's feasible as a project like she already did like most of the work. She kind of presented what she wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, go for it. Like I'll guide you along the way, but it sounds like you know what you're doing. And like, and, and she actually became like uh, a grad student afterwards and became really good too. So it's like, I was like, yeah, when, when you, as a mentor, you have to realize when you have someone who's like, who's just like chomping at the bit and knows what they're doing and they're driven, you're, I don't know. For me, it was like so much better to just let them, excel and help them along the way. Of course, you can't just, like, let them run loose and rampant without any direction. But, you know, you have certain... It's like what Liz said earlier. You have certain students that that uh, have certain personalities and certain uh, abilities and certain uh, drives, and you should cater to them. And she clearly was, like, had her, 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 her own driven mindset of what she wanted to do, and that was great. And to me, it was like... And if it's somebody who required a little more figuring out for them, I could do that as well. But it was like, i that was a really important lesson to me and, and one that was not just important for me to be a better mentor, but it was important for me to realize how I should interact with, with my mentor. And it was like really helpful. Uh, Elise?
3: Yeah, you learn a lot from this and it generally comes back to you. First of all, in the obvious way that they get data, which is what you're there for in terms sure, of research. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then also in other ways, such as, so you practice explaining your science again, you stop and think about your science again so that you can explain it to a person who's not been involved with it. And so, uh, uh, and then also if they are shadowing you for an experiment to learn a new technique or that stuff, you think they ask you questions that you haven't thought about. So you yeah. think again about how those things work. And also you, you rekindle your passion for science <laughs> again, just, just through by going through that process. So So it's not as if that you're giving favors away. This is a great experience. And it's a great experience if you make it a great experience, you and them. So the more they give you, the more you give back because uh, everyone learns and everyone grows. And I think that's great. And and I like to think that also be inclusive when it comes to authoring papers, Uh, you know, you might not be using the figure that they generated or whatever, but uh, they were part of that project and uh, and uh, err on the good side, like uh, have them be co-authors and it's great for you, great for them. And uh, of course, more. if they showed up for work, right? Uh, but but you know, be open about this idea. D- don't be too tight about that, that stuff.
1: Just uh, what Elias was just saying reminded me that that I think that is so um, important. I think I've I've been on both sides where I feel like really happy that someone included me and I'm like, Oh wow, I contributed. And I was like, and then I was really excited. Um, and then there were other situations where I wasn't included and I felt like kind of left out and it, it meant it left me in like more of a discouraged sort of mindset and like uh, about maybe working with, Particular people, but also just like in general about my job. So I think that's really important, particularly like kind of when you're younger. But you can sort of extend that also to like group members too. I think not just people under under you, like as mentees, um, but also like the people in your group. Like if you're all kind of working together, then work together. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. it's yeah, it's a give and take. Um, yeah. One And one thing, specific thing that I wanted to add to um, about kind of like mentoring students is something that personally has worked well for me um, is I always, um, if I have a student working under me for whatever project or any reason, I usually start with one like very small task. And usually it's related to standard operating procedures in a laboratory, which sounds maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit prescriptive, but in any sort of lab environment, which is where we work, it's super important to know like the hazards that are there, how to use the equipment. And that's like step one. Like you need to know how to, you need to go from not knowing how to use something to being independent. And one very important way is to take notes and make your own like set of notes about how to use something. So um, that's how, what I've done in the past because, I mean, my advisor asked me to do it, and I actually thought it worked really well. And it was like one little tiny task that helped me um, because it made it you know did all these kind of soft skill things like maybe be better at taking notes. And like including details about like lab safety procedures or protocols or whatever it was that then later helped me make samples, do things in lab, whatever it was. Um, and but I also felt like I was contributing and like learning how to write scientific like methods section sort of stuff. Um, yep. So that's like a small, I don't know, task one that I really like doing with students.
3: On that note, safety first, you know, don't assume even basic safety protocols. Just make sure you communicate all aspects of safety. I mean, you don't want something bad to happen. So that's important.
0: That's probably, yeah, that's the most important thing. I I, I actually, like, uh, when I was at the National Lab, I had um, uh, an undergrad working for me, and he was fantastic. And he, and it was like, um, you know, he wasn't uh, trying to get... uh, a career in research he was you know just doing an internship uh but he was like he came from a different field of study and as a result i got it to me i found that so much better uh because um he didn't come with any preconceived notions of what to do in the lab like he was just like a blank slate in and a chemistry lab like for the most part I mean, he had some previous experience, but not a lot. So it was great, and to me, I was like, "This is really appealing." And not to mention, he was driven and very smart. Uh, so as a result, like, I was like, "Okay, this is how we're going to do it," and this this is how the lab safety works here. And, then, and he just took to it like a sponge. And it was like, he was and and he was very valuable to me, also in learning how to be a proper mentor and learning how. Uh, to trust the people that work for you, and for me, that was like I'm not like a micromanager, I would say, but I'm uh, I'm someone who uh, has like I treat my 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 work and my samples like my children, and so you get like this nervousness <laughs> of like when you when you're passing some work on to somebody else, you're like eh, don't don't and if they if they cry make sure to, to 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 do this and if you know you just kind of feel like this this almost overprotective parent of from your work and you're like you're like, and, and if and if, the, and if the sample doesn't do right like you know try this and if this doesn't happen then i always do this and and, and don't let this happen it's like i know and now like you know you get like this uh this feeling from from whoever it is like doing this work for you it's like i i got it i got it don't worry I, and then you, you i learned to be like okay just they know what they're doing. Just let them do their thing, and then just back off. And you know, they they know how to take care of children. It's totally cool. Like, and then actually at the end, like he was cranking out like more uh, uh less error and rigorous samples than I was. Like this is great. Like you just keep cranking them out. Like you trust you implicitly for everything. So it's just it's it was nice because it's it's amazing how many times while you're mentoring uh and trying to be a good mentor, you also. Um, you, you develop skills, like you're not just teaching them, you're learning yourself all kinds of things about, uh, how to do these, these skills that a lot of PIs don't come prepared with, you know? So it's, it's great. Uh, it, like now I know if I, you know, I'm not going to have a research group anytime soon, but if I do, I know how to, you know, what to do and what not to do, at least what I think that is. And it's a decent starting point anyway, to, to keep learning and becoming as good of, a uh of a mentor as possible like you know mm-hmm. but it's like most things you 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 start off kind of bad at it and you you get better and better as you go but if you you know at least if your motivations are correct like you're at least most of the way there i think and so you just keep that going i think we're we're okay we hit everything we're yep. yes. good to go. We get good, so. to, good to go on time. So I think okay. Uh, I think uh, that wraps up another episode. Uh, this time on mentors and mentoring and mentees and and uh,
2: non- Not manatees, which is a very common misconception.
0: That's right. That's right. And yeah, or, yeah. Man-, <laughs> man, manatee, also known as the sea cow, uh, which is, I think. <laughs> Which I think is like a, a really <laughs> terrible, a terrible thing to, to call another animal. Like, I don't know. It's like, just call it a manatee. It's a, it's a, it's a nice.
1: It's, its own thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a proper
0: sounding, like, yeah, it sounds sophisticated. You just go, whatever, sea cow. And you're just, you're just a cow underwater. <laughs> what else do you bring to the table? Like, manatee's like, thanks a lot. Like, you know, I just <laughs> I have my own desires and needs too. I'm I'm, I'm a species. Uh, But okay. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for uh, another fantastic episode. Thank you, PhDL Nation. Uh, Again, send us your ratings. Send us your reviews. uh, Send us your emails. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And until then, keep cranking out science. Keep cranking out awesomeness. uh, Be good to one another. And take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.